The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! <laughs> Hey, how you guys doing? Tom Duggan here on the Paying Attention Podcast, high atop the Two Guys Smoke Shop in Salem, New Hampshire, at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, and um, we want to uh, welcome you into the show today. No Paul today, because we have a debate. Uh, hopefully, this is going to be a spirited debate, and what I really, the reason I wanted to do this particular debate first is because, uh, you know, as a news guy, I have to pay attention to all of the races that are on the ballot. And there's a lot of races down ballot, so, they, so to speak, that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Uh, paying attention, right? That's the name of the show. And so there's a lot of people who don't pay attention to those, to those races at the bottom. And some of those races are more important than the races near the top of the ballot, like state rep, state senate. And today we have such a race. It's the governor's council. Most people don't know what the governor's council is what they do, why they're important, why we need them, who's your governor's council, who's running against them for governor's council. So I thought if nothing else, we could educate people today. For those of you who are going to be voting, we want to make sure that, you know, you're going to probably be up on the governor's race and maybe your local state reps, but you're probably not going to be up on this race. And so I thought we could use this show to educate people about a very, I think, critical board, one of the most critical boards in government, and that is the Governor's Council. So what I'm going to do is, um, those of you who have, I know Eileen has been on um, a debate before, and I think, uh, I think Rich has probably done one with me too right. when I was on radio. It's going to be the same format. Um, I'm not going to time anybody's answers. I, I'm just going to ask you to be respectful of each other, and if I think one person's dominating time, I'll slow you down and I'll give somebody else time that I think if, if they're not getting enough time. Uh, what I'd really like you guys to do uh, after you introduce yourselves is I'd like you, when I throw out a question, I'd like you to talk to each other on what you agree and what you disagree on. Uh, sometimes we find out more about candidates by what they agree on than what they disagree on. And the way most debates are structured, it's usually for the conflict. You know, what do you guys disagree about? And so I want to kind of do a little bit of both. Um, if there's something that I don't bring up that you guys would like to bring up, feel free to bring it up. Let me know. Uh, we can spend a couple of minutes on if there's a specific topic that I'm not bringing up or your colleagues aren't bringing up. Um, so why don't we start? We'll start at the, at, to my far left. Uh, why don't you just introduce yourself, take a few minutes to introduce yourself, tell people why you're running for Governor's Council, um, and, uh, and maybe even explain a little bit what the Governor's Council is. Sure. So my name is Mark Mercier. I'm from Boxford. Can you just pull that mic like really close to you? Sure. Really close. You're from Boxford? I'm from Boxford. You've got a great police chief in Boxford. Yeah. Jim Ryder is a good Ryder's guy. Ryder is a good guy. Um, and so I've been there in Boxford 20 years. I originally grew up in Malden, uh, but uh, when I got married, my wife lived in Boxford. We moved to Boxford. So that's where she was from. Um, so the Governor's Council is a panel of people uh, who, are, who are selected by the voters to act as a check on the authority of the governor in appointing judges in the state. So um, there's a very involved process for determining who should be a nominee for judge, and the governor ultimately puts that person up uh, for potential judgeship. And uh, this council provides the final word on whether or not they get appointed. Um, they provide advice and consent to the governor on the appointment, I guess. Um, there's not a lot of advisoring, advisory going on beforehand uh, from this council. I don't know if in the past, historically, uh, they did, but it doesn't seem like there is now. Uh, the governor has his own, he or she has their own group of people um, that they work with for screening candidates. And um, candidates come from a joint bar committee um, of attorneys uh, in Massachusetts, and they, they receive the applications, they do the background screens, they 
look into whether the person's qualified and then they give a recommendation to the governor. And then the governor's group sorts through who they wish to bring forward. And then the council uh, has the final say. So that's the background. Should I give my background as well? Yeah, or, just give us a little what? bit about like, who you are. Okay. So uh, I'm running for governor's council because I think I'm the most qualified person to do that. Uh, and uh, I've been a litigation consultant for 16 years. I've worked uh, for some of the largest uh, consulting firms in the world. I work with uh, top litigators at most uh, of the, the large law firms that, that are in Boston. And um, so I bring that uh, perspective to it. Um, thereby, you know, I think I'm the most qualified out of the, the three that are running right now. Um, and I also am uh, running on a third-party ticket. I'm running as a libertarian, so I'm not a... Oh, uh, you're one of those pesky libertarians. De Democrat or Republican. Maybe not pesky. But, All right, okay. Uh, you know. Fair enough. Um, and so I think that, you know, serving in that role as a check on the authority of the governor, it's very important to have independent-minded people there. And so being not party-affiliated one way or the other, it doesn't matter which governor wins, you mm -hmm. know, which candidate for governor wins. I will be able to serve in that capacity until a libertarian wins the governorship, I guess. Um, you know, as an objective, not, not as a partisan. Right. Um, and, then, uh, and then third, um, you know, I think a lot of people think you should just uh, get, aw get away from this governor's council as a concept. I don't. I think it's very important. But they complain that it's sort of a waste. Mm -hmm. um, that was going to be one of my questions, so I'm glad you it. touched on it. Um, and so... For me, I think one way that I, I remediate that problem or alleviate that problem is I've taken a pledge to accept no salary in, in if I'm elected to What is the position. salary for the governor's counselor? Eileen? I think it's around... Oh, I, I no, it's, it's around, your question. you got to answer it. <laughs> I think it's around 40000 Well, he's planning on not taking it, so it doesn't matter to him, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, you know, I think it's around 40000 for salary. I'm not confident exactly what that number is. Right. Um, yeah, so I, you know... As part of my uh, pr proposal, uh, I, I will refuse that salary uh, if elected. All right. Eileen Duff, you are the current governor's counsel. I've been watching you now for quite a few years. How long have you been on? Like six years? Eight years? Uh, six years. Six yeah. years. I've been watching Every you. Every two years. We um, I, I, like, I like a lot of what you've done. I don't like some of what you've done, but I think we've always uh, been civil in our disagreements, right? We have, um, as one should be. So why don't you explain yes. to people who you are, what the Governor's Council does. Maybe you can touch on some things the Governor's Council does that, uh, that Mark hasn't talked about. Sure. My name's Eileen Duff. I'm running for re-election. I currently live on Cape Ann. Can you just pull that mic just a little closer there? There, Can you, hear there you go, better. Better, better, better. Yes, better. better. So I currently live on Cape Ann in Gloucester. I grew up on the North Shore. Um, my background is in public policy. Spent most, I don't know if I can say anymore at this age, but I spent a good part of my career working in Washington, um, mostly in telecommunications, intellectual property. Um, I worked on writing the telecom bill at the FCC with an FCC commissioner. Worked on both sides of the aisle there. I actually worked for Republican when I was in D.C., mm -hmm. even though I was a Clinton appointee. Um, I have a great reputation for working across the aisle, which I think you're pretty aware of. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Governor's Council, although we are elected by political party, um, for the most part is a pretty impartial a body, but we can talk about that because I'm sure you're going to have more questions on that later. Mark's shaking his head no, so we're going to get to that in the follow-up. <laughs> Ed, hey, listen, he can have his opinion. Um, what was the other thing? Well, what, what, is, what, what are some of the other things? The oh, some of the other things we does. do. So, uh, with the final check and balance on the governor for the judicial appointments for the pro board, for the clerk magistrates, uh, we sign off on all the treasury warrants. We, which is um, like the bills. Which which is means that people get paid, right? Which means the money gets processed through right. the state. That so you're actually also a check and balance on making sure that the money is being spent the way it's supposed to be spent. No, we're no, not. And that that's a misunderstanding of it. Well, I'm glad it's, I asked. It's, it's it really is. I can honestly say, as far as that goes, from the comptroller's office, that's where it comes from. That pretty much is a rubber stamp. Okay. Um. And, and if you want to talk about that in more detail, I'd be sure. really, I'd be happy to. But, uh, but that is one part of the job that really pretty much is a rubber stamp. And there's, 
I challenge anyone anywhere <laughs> to tell me differently. Uh, we also uh, sign off on all the notary publics. Okay. Well, so, when I put in my notary public which, application, I'll make sure to call you first. <laughs> well, I don't know that I'm going to help you, but I'm going to sign. Oh! I'm going to sign the letter. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, Rich Baker, you're a Republican. You've been on the show a bunch of times. Not this show, but when I was doing radio, this is an extension of our radio show. Um, and you've run for this job once before. So why don't you tell people who you are and why you're running again? Sure. I'm, I'm Rich Baker. I'm running again because I did so well last time. Um, I did 4% better than Donald Trump in this district. Oh. and uh, That's not hard to do, though. This is Massachusetts, after all, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's My just... cat got more votes than Donald Trump and Lawrence last time. <laughs> I don't even have a cat. <laughs> but, but it just shows that this, this position is available, and um, you know, without Eileen having uh, Hillary's coattails this time, we should be able to take the seat. So it's a very winnable seat, and that's why I'm running. Um, my... Uh, I'm, as you said, I'm, I'm from West Newbury, and uh, I'm currently the chairman of the West Newbury Board of Assessors. So we're the ones that make sure the taxes are fair in uh, in the town of West Newbury, that everyone pays uh, their fair share, and that we allocate um, the the burden of the town budget properly amongst the people. I'm also president of New England Intellectual Property, which me uh, it's a small consulting firm. I help inventors get patents and make money on their patents. And um, where Mark's a litigation consultant, um, I am not an attorney, so I can't be a uh, uh, do patent litigation. But I can manage patent litigation, and I have for a number of my clients that uh, and companies I've worked for. I've been an expert witness. I'm sure Mark, you've done that a couple of times as well. Um, you know, I, I do. Uh, brokering of, of patents, licensing of patents. Uh, so I do quite a quite a bit with the um, with the patent system, which means I'm appearing for patent examiners, the patent uh, appeal board, um, filing briefs, uh, and I've appeared a number of times in federal courts. And in the federal courts, I see some of the best judges in in the country. You've never been convicted, and, though. No, I have never been convicted. <laughs> That, that was the primary. Um. <laughs> Is that a disqualifier? That's good. That's good. No, no, no just you know, full disclosure. We just want transparency here. Mm -hmm. um, so, we, oh, uh, so I know what a good judge is, having, uh, having managed litigation, having seen what their, their rulings are. And I want to make sure Massachusetts gets nothing but the best judges uh, for, for dealing with, uh, with cases that come before them. Any citizen that appears before a judge, that's probably the most important day of their lives. Something has gone wrong, and all of a sudden, they need a, uh, the, the judiciary to settle a dispute they have or to, to uh, you know, address a, a, you know, something they've done wrong. And for, the, for that particular citizen, that they're counting on that judge to be fair, impartial, to follow the rule of law. And our job as governor's counselors is to make sure that the judiciary in Massachusetts has nothing but the best, uh, the best judicial minds in there, people that will, will follow the rule of law and make sure that they, uh, they issue fair decisions. So I think my first question is, because one of, one of my pet peeves as somebody who's uh, somewhat of a constitutionalist, um, is this notion of a living, breathing document. We hear this on the news all the time. Most people at home, some people at home following may not understand that. Uh, there are two schools of thought on this. One is that the Constitution, the Scalia model, which I would follow, the Constitution says what it means, means what it says. It's not open to interpretation. It doesn't change with the times. If you want to change it, you use the mechanism within the Constitution and you have it amended. Then there's the, there's the philosophy that the Constitution is a living, breathing document that changes with the times because the guys who wrote it was 200 and something years ago, and they couldn't have foreseen everything. So I just wanted each of you to just take a few minutes, talk to each other about what you agree with or disagree with on this, um, as to whether or not you think the Constitution, not just the United States Constitution, but the state Constitution that you're going to be following, uh, it, it, does it mean what it says and says what it means, or is it a living, breathing document? And I'll let anybody who wants to go go first. Eileen. 
No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you can. Yeah, well, because you know it, you know my thought on I this. I already know her answer. That's why yeah, I called her first. Know, he does, and that's perfectly fine. Although I, I slightly disagree with something that you said, um, and I'll tell you what. I, I believe that it's more of a living document in that the amendments that we have and that we're enabled to have uh, through the correct process are, are what prove that to be so. I also would say from being um, a great admirer of, of Judge Scalia's, believe it or not. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I read a lot of... I read Ten more a points lot for Eileen. I read a lot. <laughs> yes. Hey, listen. I'll, I'll give you points for that. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't agree with a lot of this stuff, and you and I know this. I may not agree with how he comes to his conclusions, but the, the man was a beautiful writer and a great jurist. Um, and I think one of the things that always surprises people, and it really shocked Jen Casey when she learned this, is how close friends he was with Ruth Gader Ginsburg. Right. Oh, absolutely. They were how, best friends. how they spent so much time together. Right. But that's on the judicial mind. And, and I would say I, I beg to differ a little bit on Scalia being as strict a constitutionalist as, as we take him to be but it doesn't really matter anymore does it the men so when we say a living breathing document most people mean that like abortion's not in the constitution gay marriage is not in the constitution that should go back to the states if you're an originalist like me then there are people who are uh, believe it's a living breathing document that they believe that you can just kind of change it with the times that you know the the culture has changed the times has changed and rather than doing an amendment they just send it to the court and the court finds this new right in the constitution yes no I, I, again, I'm not, I'd have to really think more about that, but I'm not sure I would say they find a new right, although I can understand how you would say, how you'd come to that conclusion. Um, I agree that there are issues today that they weren't faced with, yet some of them were actually thought of, maybe not in the context, for example, gay marriage. Now, they may not have thought of gay marriage in the context of of two single-sex people being married together, but the Constitution and the Founding Fathers, I mean, that's why we have civil marriage. I mean, that was one of the main reasons they left Europe, mm-hmm. was over marriage. So we didn't have religious marriage. And, it, and in the Constitution, it's very, very clear that marriage is a, is a <clears throat> civil law, not a religious law. Religions have any right to do whatever they want within their churches and acknowledge or not acknowledge whatever their belief system is. You guys going to let her get away with all this? Or, uh, well, I mean, I'll, you, I'll you let can... her have as much rope as she wants. Oh. <laughs> go, go right ahead. No, join in. I mean, it's, I mean, it's... I don't necessarily disagree, but I'm pretty sure you guys disagree, so I'm just trying yeah, to get a little debate know, going here. It, you already know that... Well, go ahead. I don't care. Eileen <laughs> and I debate this stuff all the we time. We debated so all the stuff. And, and, and she's that, still wrong, but I, but I love all, her anyway. But that's all right, because part of the thing is the more discussions you have with people that you don't agree with, if you're really listening, you're going to learn. And that's where sometimes the change comes about. Now, we know, I would say, as a country, we've gotten a little bit too far away from that. Yes, we have. um, Which is really unfortunate. Um, I think a great example... Uh, on the councils, you know, we only have one sitting Republican council right now, Jen Casey. And Jen and I, and this is, it's kind of a joke, is that in almost every single way, we are as opposite as can be. I'm this short, little, squatty person. She's this tall, attractive, blonde. Um, and you haven't introduced her to me yet? <laughs> She's married. Sorry, Tom. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's ever mattered. <laughs> it will matter. At least to me, anyway. But are, yeah. are you different in substantive <laughs> ways? Matter. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, we have really, really different views on a whole bunch of things. But there's a whole bunch of things that we really agree upon that don't always come out in hearings and things. And I I would tell anybody, if you you call Jen Casey and you ask her, who who is the person that will support you the most on the council, who will have your back the most, I bet you a hundred bucks she'll say me. But how is that possible? I think I'll if take you that back. Have <laughs> diametrically opposed views. Just because we don't agree with each other doesn't mean I wouldn't support her on an issue. Because there's not a. It's, I don't understand that at all. I mean, because there's no one size fits all. It's, it's not a cookie cutter. It's not like I'm voting for you because you're this, or I'm voting for you because you're that. That's not how it works. 
Well, that's think, not how think, life but works. But can you weigh in on the living, breathing document stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah go back. Go, get his Yeah, sure. Uh, go well, to that. Uh, you know, I think Because that's that, an important issue for you, and, yeah, and I understand why. I think it's why. a big important issue for, for most people who, on both sides who care about the Constitution. Well, I think... Well, yeah. you've you got to know what the yeah. rules are. Right. And well, you can't be changing yeah. the rules and saying, oh, we're just going to reinterpret the rules. That's, that's ridiculous. That's anarchy. Yeah, the important thing that Scalia focused on was... His interpretation, or the way that he, the way that he said that the Constitution should be interpreted, was based upon the understanding at the time, right? And so that's sort of where the where this uh, split is among the people that say it's living, breathing, and people that, that say you should adhere to it strictly, mm -hmm. um, because if I mean, you could only uh, end up with an agreement among people in a given society, which is what the Constitution is. It's an agreement on how they're going to run their government. You can only do it based upon their understanding at the time. Things that are uh, available or issues that arise nowadays weren't considered as part of that, uh, part of the, con the construction of the Constitution. But it shouldn't matter, right? Over time, society, if there's something in the Constitution, uh, like the legality of slavery, right, at one point in time, if there's a point at which the society determines that the law is not aligned with what their views of society should be, then they amend the Constitution. Right. And that's, that's what the part that Eileen spoke about, that is the proper process for changing. And so then, you know, a lot of the people that say that the Constitution is living, breathing, what they actually mean is that the judges right. should be the ones to make the determinations about how we should change it. And that's not what. Yeah, the I'm always hearing people say that. that uh, in fact, Robert said it the other day. I almost fell off my chair when he said that their job is to interpret the Constitution. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. no your job is to interpret the law and apply the Constitution. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But I'm not on the Supreme Court. What do I know? The, the Constitution but, is supposed to be a fixed standard for the way that society interacts with each other. Right. And, and it's supposed to be applicable to the government. It's not supposed to be applicable to like right now. There's a, a proposal in Massachusetts. Uh, to form a board that would be designed, it's very convoluted, but form a board that would be designed to amend the Constitution for the purpose of reversing uh, Citizens United yes. case, right? Yeah, question three. We should all right. be voting no on that. No, it's question two. Oh, I thought it was three, okay. Oh, it's two. Yeah. Okay. So that, that is them attempting to control the people via the Constitution, right? It's, they're trying to control the way that people have free speech under the Constitution. Well, the very purpose of the Constitution is to restrict government's right. ability to influence that. And the First Amendment says, you, you know, you shall not, uh, you know, as a government, control people's freedom of speech. Well, they're attempting to insert control. into the Constitution control over people's free speech. I mean, you're going to let him get away with that? Which is the opposite of what the Constitution is supposed to be for. The Constitution is a great policy uh, document. It, 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 it should be timeless, and for the most part it is. It has lasted for, for 200 years with a couple of minor uh, amendments. You've got the amendment po uh, process when it, you find situations that, that, that you need to add additional policy, but you get down into the details, that, that's your laws. But your problem when you've got, as, as Tom was talking about, um, you know, the living document judges, then you get a totally different um, rule in Lawrence District Court than you would in Newburyport District Court. And the, the purpose of the law is to set a standard across all courts that everybody, and, and if you have certain judges that put a lot of their personal feelings in, you wind up spending most of your time on, um, on venue <coughs> arguments, on whether okay, this case should be brought in Lawrence, no, it should be brought in Newburyport, and both sides know the, the judge to knows... To get the result they want. Right. Yeah, that which goes is, on a lot. It, it, that's, that's not but, what we want for, but, uh, but what, for, for I think justice. What, what you're referring to is judge shopping. Yeah. Exactly. Is that right. what yeah. you're referring to? Oh, forum to. shopping. Yeah. So, it, it's so done all the time. So mm -hmm. what is the... Um, give me an example of, of when this has happened that you know about. Sure. In patent law, Eastern District uh, of Texas has been known but, for, uh, for uh, years... In our district. Give me an example in our district. Judge Feely down in um, in in uh, walked right in, into that one in Salem. Oh, I, every, every every defense attorney in Essex County knows that you keep appealing and you keep procedurally moving maneuvering around until you get in charge of uh, <laughs> charge of Judge Feely, and then your defendant gets to walk. 
Um, I mean, that, that's that been in the press for uh, two yeah, years now. Yeah, I think now. that's an oversimplification it of, is, of but, it. But, but, and I understand that, that, that for political purposes, people make o- o- oversimplified, oversimplified arguments. Um, you know, there is probably a lot of uh, cases in which Judge Feely did his job properly. Oh, Judge, there, Judge there, Feely there are, was, was a prosecutor for 17 years. He had a great reputation. Just the last couple of years, he's... Uh, he, maybe he, yeah. I mean, there's specific, and this maybe is, this he is fell a good in love. example. Maybe he fell in love. But the, maybe but, now he just sees the world a different way. But this is a good example <laughs> off Rich's, you know, the point Rich was trying to make that that laws need to be applied universally among right. all the people, right? right. In, in his, in a very specific decision um, about that that heroin dealer, where you know the defense counsel asked for uh, a lowering of bail, or or you know that that, that this person should. Uh, receive bail because if they were, uh, you know, convicted um, or, you know, the, the, the sentence was more, more strict, that that would impact their, their status here as an immigrant, right? right? Well, you're not supposed to hand out, you know, a lesser of a sentence because of an per- individual person's, the impact on that individual person. You're supposed to hold to a universal standard right. for all people. So, if that activity is illegal, which is another whole debate, um, that that you know, people have to know in advance that if they are charged with those crimes, they will face a certain, you know, somewhat standard um, penalty for that. No matter now, which judge you're in front. Now, both of you guys were shaking your head when Eileen was talking. Um, uh, you were both shaking your head when yes she, or when, no. when she yes said you were saying no. no. Uh, you were saying no when she said that uh, that the governor's council is, is is mostly nonpartisan. You both really didn't seem to like that answer. So I'm going to give you guys a chance to beat up on her, and then I'm going to give her a chance to defend herself. Go for it. I'm sh- Which, I'm whichever s- one you guys want. I'm small to go first. and I'm a middle child. I can take it. <laughs> well, well, I'm the well, big brother. I'm the oldest of seven. So, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, I've if if you go and attend one of these meetings, or even just watch it on YouTube. The amount of uh, grandstanding, political grandstanding that goes on has nothing, is virtually nothing to do with the, the, the nominee that is appearing before them, whether or not they're qualified for the position. It, it's, it's shocking. I mean, nationally, people saw a lot of it in the, in the Kavanaugh uh, hearings, right? Every, I, I don't know anybody that wasn't watching that. If you thought that there was a lot of political uh, bickering going on there, it is very similar in, in the governor's council hearings. People use it to advance their own personal agendas, their own political agendas, giving speeches. I mean, they're supposed to be interviewing a candidate for uh, for this position, and they're and they're just giving speeches about things that are important to them, or you know, uh, certain ones. I won't I won't name anybody. Nobody here at this at the at this time, but other um, counselors go on and on about their personal experiences in this in this situation or that situation and you know it's just it's a lot of uh, a waste of people's time I think um, so I mean the the bickering that goes on there over the most inane things Rich um, you haven't had a lot of time do you want to <laughs> do you want do you, do you want to address this is the governor's council a more partisan board than Eileen was saying that it was or is, absolutely or is it, okay Ab- you know, from from talking to Explain other governor's counselors uh, it, it's definitely partisan. Um, you, you look at some of uh, Eileen's statements in the press, and, and she'll go after uh, uh, after the governor or try to go after the governor for, for this and that. And, you know, it's, it's purely political. Um, but as Mark is saying, and Mark is spot on, this is, our job is to interview a judge. And we are to try to, to discern what's in the judge's heart, why they're there, um, are they there to put another check mark on their resume, or are they there because they want to serve the community? What are they going to be like f- as a judge? That's the important part of these governors' council meetings, not you know what somebody's personal opinion is, not what policy should or shouldn't be. If if the governors' councilors are interested in policy, they shouldn't be on the council. They should be running for state rep or state senate. Um, we've got more, when much more of a ministerial that, job where it's we're interviewing. Um, and, and trying to uh, figure out the best judges for Massachusetts. Uh, do both of you agree, before I go to Eileen, do both of you agree that Eileen is more partisan? Oh, yes. Okay. No. No? They're all, I mean, there's, a, there's, there's huge partisans. I mean, they're, they're you know, I, I wrote an article on this. Uh, I think it was 
published by the Sun. Um, Not in the Valley Patriot, by the way. Uh, no, I don't think <laughs> it was. I don't think it Big was. Mistake. I don't think it was. I had to shop them around. I, right. I sent you one. Minus, I did send you one when I when <laughs> minus I first one ran. point. No, 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 no. I, you know, I try to get them all out there. Um, but well, you took me off track. Of what I'm I was going to say. Oh, but the the two the two most nonpartisans that I, that I observe uh, in there is um, Councillor Hurley yeah. and um, and uh, how do you say her, her last name? The one that you said was. Diametrically opposed, Ken, Casey. Ken Casey. Ken Casey. Yeah. yeah, those two. I've never seen, a, you know, a lot of the 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 grandstanding that goes on. All right, so there's some, been some of the others, uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to. I was more interested in whether or not you thought Eileen was partisan because my question now goes back to Eileen because now she's got a chance to defend herself. Oh, I have an example. Oh, go ahead. Give. Go right ahead. Uh, during the appointment of one judge who happened to be uh, um, a, a gay judge, I wouldn't have known or, you know, had watched the proceedings or anything, but she raised the issue. Um, you know, she said to him, well, now I think you, you know, you really have an additional responsibility towards uh, gay people in the community because you're a gay judge and you should, you know, I don't know what she expected him to do. You know, in my view, you don't treat anybody differently no matter what their uh, political, personal, you know, professional orientations, whatever are. But she seemed to suggest that there was some additional duty on this gentleman because he was gay because he was gay that he would i don't know support the gay community more in his courtroom than other judges you're saying eileen did that yeah right and then 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 the judge reardon that uh eileen went after because he's roman catholic and that was 2016 because he was roman catholic yes you did you look at that line of questioning and uh you you took him up it's run 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 your mouth Keep, keep I mean, talking, it's a little, the more you talk, it's but, better for me. <laughs> Again, I think it's an oversimplification. She did ask it's him. Huge. I was hoping these two could actually get into it, because you guys seem to be really getting into it <laughs> she, now. She, she, did, like she did uh, ask him what his religious affiliation was, which probably was just an inappropriate It was com- inappropriate. Comment, but, you're, you're absolutely but, right. But, it was inappropriate. You know, I don't think... I don't know. We're going to give Eileen some time. We were supposed to take a break, but we're going to hold hold the break because I want Eileen to give a a comprehensive answer to this because I think you should be able to defend yourself. Uh, Sure. Uh, They they both they think that you're partisan and (laughs) and 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 this whole this whole Catholic thing. Let's 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 get it out. All right. Let's talk about the partisan. Um, I want you to give me an example, particularly under Governor Baker, how I've been partisan and how I've because Richard, you've talked in. And I'm so flattered because you started using my lines a lot in your campaign. I know. Which is, <laughs> you, you get some great lines, I do, and I thank you I'm for really them. because I'm really good at my job. I think it's <laughs> – they say the the best form of flattery is when someone steals your stuff. So go for it. Um, but give credit to where it's due. So um, I want an example of how I have been uh, – part. I'm not even sure the, the right word is partisan against – Governor Baker, because I'm a Democrat. Yeah, give, give, give me an example. Um, well, you you uh, went, went after uh, the governor back in November uh, of last year. For what? Um, for not putting uh, Ed O'Reilly, O'Reilly forward. Ed O'Reilly had an interview with the governor's office. Ed O'Reilly mm-hmm. withdrew his application. After the governor said that when the Massachusetts Massachusetts bar said that he was unqualified and the governor's office said they would not be moving his nomination forward. That I'm not sure you're right on your I, on your I've timeline, but but you may at be. least I'm I'm following the newspaper reports and and, and, you know and I'm, they well, may you be can't wrong. Trust those. They may be wrong. <laughs> and and if the fact of the matter is, it really doesn't matter whether they're right or they're wrong, because I didn't go after the governor. And if you look, if you look at what I said, what I said, and I, I believe it was exactly this: someone has a beef with Ed O'Reilly, and it mm. wasn't the governor. I was never going after the governor for that. Uh, in, so, in, are you saying in, that in, he in, was he was uh, turned away because of partisanship, or what? 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 I think. I mean, you said it was a travesty at the time. Because uh, I think that, that when he was high qualified. What, I think for what? that I think when somebody, and this is part of the process that you don't know because you're not involved in it, but when someone is attacked, um, 
going through some of that process. And you can talk to other counselors. In fact, the counselor you should talk to the most about this is Counsel Casey. Mm. Um, when there is a candidate who is going forward and then something political stops them, that political thing most times is not coming from the governor's office. It's coming from somebody else who has a beef with them. And that's fine. I have no problem with Ed O'Reilly not becoming a judge. I really don't. It makes absolutely no difference to me at all. He is a man who lives in my district who's very well respected and revered. He's done a lot for the community. Probably one of uh, the best defense attorneys up there in Gloucester. He's, well, he's not just in Gloucester. He's, he's right. all over K- the place. He's, he's they love all him over in KPN. The, well, they love him in KPN. They love him all over the North Shore. He's a, he's a great attorney. He is. He's a so, great story. I mean, this is a kid who grew up in the projects, uh, worked in the jails, went to law school at night, was a lobsterman, uh, you know, made his way. Good for him. But what's he, the political he stop? He, he didn't make it through. That you mentioned, you said if something politically happens, what what what, what because, is Because Mark, because when I, people I mean, apply to be a judge, mm-hmm. it's not just the paperwork goes through and they go before the joint bar and then we interview them and puff the magic dragon happens. That's not uh-huh. what happens behind the scenes. What happens behind the scenes is there's a ton of political lobbying going on. There's a ton That's of people. It is, isn't it? It's it's tremendously sad, and it's one of the reasons why having non-lawyers on there is really important. Because I'm not playing in that sandbox. Um, There are a lot of people who may have beefs with people. You're not playing in the political sandbox? I'm not playing in the sandbox of being a lawyer where I'm trying to advance my friends or not get people forward. So, so Eileen, you you really think this was political and that the Bar Association didn't give them unqualified because of the... uh, the Physical altercation he had with an assistant district you know attorney. What, Rich, I don't know. Or, but I can or the tell issue you, with the judge in the parking lot. You don't think those had any play in? They may in have this? had all the play in the world. They could have had all the play in the world, and that could be absolutely why they made that decision. I don't know. And, and like I said, it really doesn't matter to me. What I do know, what I do know, is all that information had already been revealed to the governor's office. The governor's office does an extraordinary job vetting these people. Mm-hmm. They're extraordinary at it. Our Judicial Nominating Commission is an extraordinary group of volunteers mm-hmm. who work all the time. Every Tuesday they meet, either in person or on conference calls. They, don't take, they don't take a salary from that? I don't know that the SJC gets paid, but no. I, I wouldn't I, I mean. But but anyway, no. I, I don't think they do. But they may. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me whether they do or not, to be frank. Um, what I can tell you is that he had gotten through that entire process and was already on, was had already met with Lon Povich. Okay? So, so this was somebody. You don't get to that point unless you're one of the final three or four people. Right. So something else happened. I expressed my opinion. My opinion was someone had a beef with a guy. Because that's, that's what the word was. That's, mm-hmm. that's what everyone was saying. Um, in the state house, at the mass bar, at the joint bar, they said, listen, we can't tell you what happened, but someone has a beef with a guy. I expressed it in the newspaper. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. The guy didn't make it through. The guy took his application out. It's over. Doesn't right. doesn't really matter to me what one way or another. Um, but by by but by going to the press, you embarrassed Ed. You embarrassed Foster. I, I <laughs> because if you just been Baker, quiet, Richard Baker, it would have quietly gone away like Richard so many Baker. other <laughs> nominees. Uh, you sound. I'm going to be really frank. You sound foolish if you think that I that when absolutely. when that reporter called me up and repeatedly called me and asked me for a statement. That wasn't to embarrass Ed O'Reilly. That and, was the result and, of and it, And that though. was not to embarrass Gloucester. And I will let you call Ed O'Reilly, and you can ask him if I embarrassed him, and you can call the mayor of Gloucester 
and asked them if I've ever embarrassed Gloucester. If, if you'd kept quiet on that and, whole thing, rather Rich, than go to the press, you should you not would never talk been about, on the front page of the paper. <laughs> you should not talk about things you don't know about. And let's just leave it at that. If that's your opinion, you are more than entitled to it. We have to take a quick break, <laughs> which is really sad because I'm so enjoying this. So My favorite sorry. debates are the debates where I'm not even in it, where they just talk to each other, <laughs> because I think it gives people at home a flavor of how these people will work with their colleagues if they win. Uh, I will say this going out. Um, I like Ed O'Reilly. Ed O'Reilly spent a lot of yeah. money with us when he was running for, for, uh, for sheriff. But that, there's no way that guy should have ever been a, a judge. He was so left-wing. He, thought the, he didn't think, just think the Constitution was a living, breathing document. I think he thought it had 25 lives. Um, <laughs> and, and so I'm glad he's not a judge. I'd be happy to vote for him for something else. But I'm kind of glad that that happened. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to you guys about, what, about the parole board the role of the uh, Governor's Council and the Parole Board, and whether or not the Governor's Council should be allowed to get rid of judges without political interference. Back on this, on Paying Attention, where everybody gets it, even Bob LeBlanc? Is that true? <laughs> A&M Auto Body, we got our friend Angelo over there. Angelo Memolo over there, he does great work on your car. So if you got a ding in your car, somebody hits you, you got a mechanical problem, you bring it to AM Auto. He's on South Broadway in Lawrence on Inman Street. Angelo will take care of you. Um, so what's the address there? 341 Three South Broadway, Lawrence, Massachusetts. I don't know why these guys love me so much. I really don't. But Twin Lights, let me tell you how, how dedicated I am to helping my sponsors. The guys at Twin Lights Security needed an extra security guy to do private investigations and to do security for a certain thing in Boston. And they posted it on my page and asked if it was okay if they could use my page to solicit hiring people. And I said, you know what? As busy as I am, these guys sponsor the show. They sponsor the Valley Patriot. They give us $1,000 for the bash. I'm going to go work for these guys. So I called up Pat McLaughlin and I said, look, you help us every single time we need something. Whenever I put out a call, you're there. If you need an extra person and you're short... I'll take the night off and I'll come work for you. And so I, ha- so I have been. I've been doing some work for them because they're helping us. And so there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to find a way to help them in the meantime. So if you need security or if you're getting divorced and you need a private investigator, if you have a business and you need a private investigator or security, uh, you want to call Twin Lights Security. They're based out of Gloucester, but they're very local. If while I'm driving around Lawrence, I get shot and killed... Make sure you get my body to Perez Funeral Home because we do business with the people who do business with us. And he's on South Broadway. With the, it, it's the old Scott Funeral Home. If, you were, if you're an old-time Lawrence resident, it's the old Scott Funeral Home on, on South Broadway. Perez Funeral Home at 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. Um, you can, they do crematory services. They do all the stuff that they're supposed to do, right? And uh, Mike's a, a big fan of the show. He followed us when we go live. He's an advertiser now in the print edition of the paper, and he's now sponsoring this program. Perez Funeral Home and Crematory Services, 298 South Broadway in Lawrence. We appreciate him. Franklin Veloz from Veloz Auto Group. Uh, He specializes in people that have uh, maybe bad credit, no credit. Maybe you haven't had a job for a long period of time, so you don't think that maybe you qualify for a car loan. Usually, you know, they want you to have a job for a year or more. Uh, He specializes in getting people who have bad credit or no credit or maybe spotty credit, uh, getting them into a used car. He used to work for Charlie Dare's Commonwealth Motors for a long, long time, so he knows his stuff. I think he was a credit manager over there or something. So he knows what he's doing, and, um, and he follows us live too. I really appreciate that he does. Every time I see him pop on, I'm very excited about it. And I was there yesterday to deliver his newspaper, and he said he's already had customers come in from us talking about him on this show. So we appreciate Veloz Auto Group. Go see Franklin. He's at 17 Mass Ave. It's right at the very beginning of Mass Ave on the Lawrence North Andover line. All righty. No Paul today. And by the way, we hate Charlie Dare. I'm going to have to recut that commercial. <laughs> Don't ever buy a car from that guy. Trust me when I tell Stop you. It. Don't ever buy a car from that guy. Don't do it. Trust me. And this is one of your advertisers, Tom? No, he's not an advertiser. Oh. No, the, a Veloz Auto Group, he used to work for Charlie Dare. And for some reason, I worked that into the commercial. And then just realized I gave, I gave the likes of Charlie Dare free airtime. So I was like, what, what did I do that for? <laughs> um, 
So we are, a, we are having a governor's council debate. The governor's council, for those of you who don't know, real quick, is it's an elected body where when the governor appoints judges, they have to get confirmed. It's kind of like when the city council has to confirm like a police chief or a fire chief at your local level. And so they have to kind of interview the guy publicly. It's going to be a public hearing. Um, and sometimes you have people who just hate the guy that was nominated. We saw this with Sal Tabit. Um, you know, somebody just hated Sal and started calling uh, governor's counselors and saying, ah, he kicks puppies, he's a bad guy, you know, he, he, you know, he, he steals money out of the church pool box, he's awful. They actually did accuse him of stealing money. Did they really? Yeah. I mean, that's just all, it was, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Um, but so it's kind of like when, when, the, when the Kavanaugh hearing was brought up by Rich Baker earlier, uh, it can sometimes degenerate into that. And so it's important who it is that we put on these boards they're going to be overseeing the appointment of judges. But you guys, I would like you to talk about some of the other things that the Governor's Council does. Because, you know, one of you is obviously going to win and you're going to be sitting there. And one of them has been a very big pet peeve of mine. Um, we know that Dominic Sinelli was given three life sentences by a liberal Mike Dukakis judge. Three life sentences. Just never happens with a liberal judge like that. And yet, and yet, even though this liberal judge gave Dominic Sinelli three life sentences because he was so dangerous they wanted to make sure he never gets out. The parole board decided to let him out anyway because he, he got his GED and he was and he was saying nice things to the to the guards and he was taking Toastmaster classes and they went, Yep, he's ready for society. They let him out and two days later he murdered Wuben police officer Jack McGuire. Sure did. And um, since then we heard all kinds of things about parole reform and how they're gonna change the way things happen. I haven't seen one damn change since. So what I want all three of you to talk about, and I don't care who goes first, is the role of the governor's council in appointing people on the parole board and what can the governor's council do when the parole board does something so out of control, uh, like what they did with Sinelli, uh, to either punish them or remove them from the parole board. And I'll let whoever wants to jump in first. Well, you know, the biggest part is, is you need a parole board that has wisdom, people that have... Uh, they can look at people and, and make a uh, a judgment um, based on you know what the what the uh, uh, inmate has done, what their actions are in jail, and it's not an exact science. And there's going to be some mistakes there, but you want to make sure that you, they're not always making mistakes. I, I think that's the biggest problem I have with Judge Feely, is is it's not one mistake or two mistakes, but there's maybe 10 or 15 mistakes uh, if you start chasing down all of the cases of people that he's let off. Um, so, you know, you just need people on the parole board that have wisdom to get it right most of the time. There is, there is something to the fact that... Just uh, pull us a little closer. Sure, sorry. So there is something uh, to the fact that there's just so many cases that in any pool of cases, you have 10,000 people put onto parole, somebody's going to screw it up, right? right. Somebody's going to do something bad, and then that's going to become the highlight of the actions of the parole board. So, you know, making sure you have the qualified people on the parole board is, is an important, very important thing. I think if you looked at the makeup of the parole board previously, maybe 20 years ago, it was much more um, law enforcement focused or people that were on it were more from the law enforcement side of things. Um, and then more recently, because of the push towards rehabilitation of uh, people that are in, in, um, in prisons, there's been more people brought on that don't have that kind of background. And so they're not focused on um, keeping people and punishing people. They're focused on releasing people, you know, rehabbing people and policing people. And there's certain people that, you know, meet the proper criteria for that. But I think that the focus on um, should be on who is the danger to society, who's violent, you know, who, who has that history. And, and those people shouldn't get that consideration. They should those parole that Should those parole board members been thrown off the parole board after they let Sinelli out? This guy was given, he was so dangerous that a liberal judge gave him three life sentences. And, and I read the report. I read, I read yeah. the parole report. They talked about these ridiculous things that I see liberals talk about all the time, the causative factors that made him commit crimes. There's no factor that, matter. Made, that made <laughs> him commit a crime. And if you've got that attitude, but, you shouldn't even be on a parole board. I mean, if you, if you end up... Okay, what's your resume let, says? Let's say you're raised in a way that creates a monster, mm -hmm. right? Well, do we, do we 
give that monster the benefit of the doubt because they say, oh, well, his parents, you know, raised him that way and treated him very badly. No, we have to deal with him as he is as a person right now. And the rehabilitation can happen, but it better be, you know, very demonstrative that this person has changed their life around and that they're not uh, a loose fuse. Another issue with a lot of that is um, mental re rehabilitation for people that have mental issues, disabilities. Um, you know, the, those people, a lot of those end up in, in, the, in the system and they need, they need to be dealt with. Um, and those things need to be taken into consideration. So people who can assess the mental state of individuals, you know, have, have the medical education training, you know, they need to be there as well, influencing that decision. I mean, you know. you're there now. Um, I'm sure it disgusted you as it disgusted me when Sonelli was let out and oh, he yeah. a police officer. Um, and then all we heard for the next year was that there was going to be parole reform and we were going to change things, that this never happened again. None of that happened. We're, yeah. we're, we're right back well, where well, we were. Well, some things did happen. And um, this, I'm so glad you asked this question because I always say parole is the stepchild of the criminal justice system because it doesn't get a lot of attention sometimes. And so, um, and I was not there when that whole thing happened. I wasn't in, I wasn't on the council. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, I can't speak to who was on the board or whatever. I do know that they were all, uh, I think they voluntarily, they all voluntarily <laughs> resigned, but they were some pretty much dismissed. Um, and there's some legal questions of how that really should have gone down or could have gone down. I think the litigation's still pending. And it very well could be. Uh, it's, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, after that happened, Tom, Massachusetts basically all paroles came to a grinding halt for quite a few months, between three to six months, maybe more than that. No one was getting paroled at all. And what I like they, that. What they did was, <laughs> well, what they did is they brought in a new board with some of the things that Mark just referred to, which is important, and tried to get a bigger, a different balance. Like we have um, a forensic psychologist there. We have addiction experts, we have people who've, you know, we have a victim's advocate, because at the end of the day, the most important issue is public safety. Right. Now, Office McGuire... It doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like the parole board gives two craps about public safety. Well, well... It seems they care more about getting the numbers, well, the number of people out of prison that they but, can. But let me explain something to you that people don't know, and this is, um, this is really, really important. So what they did is, Massachusetts was not following what's considered the national model, which is a step-down program, which is some of the stuff that Mark alluded to, even if he didn't know that's He's what it was. He's a smart guy, that Mark. He's very smart. <laughs> uh, he lives in Boxford. I've so, been told. Um, <laughs> so the step-down program is something that Sinelli never went through. And it's, you know, and, you know people are all going to point fingers, whatever. Again, you're going to get people out there that have gone through all the programs in the world and look terrific, and they're still going to screw up and right. do terrible things when they get out. That's just how it is. But we did implement a step-down program. During the Sinelli era, people on the parole board, if, if they had a hearing, they'd like it was like a one- or two-page report they would write, which was like nothing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in it. And so in the reform, what happened was there were – like papers being written, details about these people, about their crimes, about have they really worked to become rehabilitated? Have they taken programs that they said they took or they wanted to take or they've been recommended to take? Because there are folks in jail, and I'll give you an example of somebody pretty soon, who keep applying for parole but refuse to do the program um, because they're innocent. Right. Um, and and as you know, you know my brother-in-law was chief of police in Alexandria, Virginia, and and that's a big city. You know, a lot of those Al Qaeda and underwear bombers and everyone else—they're in his jail. Mm -hmm. When the shooting happened outside, you know, in in outside Alexandria, the schools couple. Mm -hmm. That's where my family lives. Right. You know, my sister teaches at that school. Um, when police officers officers get attacked. That's that's my family. Mm -hmm. That's a very personal thing for me. So I don't take that lightly. I don't take public safety lightly. Probably 80% of the folks in jail have mental health issues mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. or so drug issues. So getting into these step-down programs and really 
doing the program matters. Sinelli, I've been told when he got out of jail, literally couldn't function. He, because he'd been in jail for so long, he, he had no ability to function at all. I mean, he, you know, they said he'd go to a restaurant, he'd throw silverware away because that's what you did in the jail. You just turned the whole tray in. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing a pretty good job of that. In, in the way that public safety ties into parole is that you people that deserve parole and can prove that they should be paroled, we want to parole. We want to parole them because if they're paroled, we can track them outside. They have to report in. They have to tell us what they're doing. There's, there's disciplines that they have to hit. There are benchmarks they have to hit. What has happened and what is happening right now, and this is catastrophic, and it's happening more in this administration than it's ever happened before, they're serving out their sentences. Mm. And if you serve your full sentence, you walk out of there, and we have no control over what you do. So, and you we, didn't learn anything we, while you were in there. We, mm-hmm. we, and you want, come out without those programs or anything like that. And we you're, want, you're, you're, yeah. You want to phase Nobody them. put out the fuse. No, exactly. And, and that's a really big pro- problem. I mean, listen, and you and I have had this conversation. There are people that belong in jail and never should see the light of day. I again. agree with I that. I mean, that's just the truth. Like all of them. We've got, well, we've got. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I'm I mean, not on the Governor's Council, by the way. That's yeah. why you're not on the Pro Board. Right. <laughs> Denied. Really. Well, I mean, you know, certainly if, if you think there is a, there is a, a trend in, uh, you know, this that the, that the parole board is too soft in their decision-making, then you need to have people on the parole board who understand that they're, they shouldn't be looking at it as like our, our role here is just to get as many people back out as mm-hmm. we, we can. What we need, what our role is, is to protect society from people who have demonstrated that they don't cooperate in society and that they do things that harm other people in society. Rich, you haven't had a lot of time on this. The parole board should we should we be we be able to fire parole board members when they make ridiculous decisions like in Sinelli? Um And what what kind of restrictions should we have on on this this? This ridiculous parole board that we have right now. Well, that, that's a that's a, a law decision. That's something that the legislature should change. If you want the parole board to to serve for a certain amount of time, then go to the legislature and get that changed. That's not something the governor's council would do. Our job is just to make sure we get the best parole board members on the parole board. So, as a as a as a governor's council, say you win and you're on the governor's council, and a proposal comes up to. Uh, allow the governor's council to fire parole board members. Would you favor that? Would you not favor that? I, I, I'd say that's outside of my purview. I'll, I'll uh, defer to the legislators on that. I'd be, I'd be much more comfortable with it for parole board members, uh, you know, since we have the final say in, on their appointment. Uh, with judges, you know, there, there's um, processes in place in order to ensure that judges are not part of the or not supposed to be part of the political influence mm-hmm. uh, or the political process you want the judicial independence you, you want them to be independent I do think though um, with these essentially lifetime appointments that we have they're not they're not lifetime but they I mean they might as well be um, you know judges now are feeling you know more free to be partisan or make decisions based on their own feelings or personal opinions rather than the actual law and you know they have to they have to embed it in law, but I think that they you know l- like some of the situations with Feely, not all of them, but some of them, um, you know he's just making decisions from the hip because he because I told you he's in love because he <laughs> has a different he's a Republican pers- you know he, he is oh, a different well he just has a different perspective on on um, you know his role and uh, you know so I do propose as part of w- what my platform is that we do change the rules so that the judges have to appear every so many years, maybe 10 years, before the board again, before the council again. Have them be reappointed. And say, right. you know, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Or, is, you know, allow the community to give testimony again and hear from them. 
Now, I know there is the Judicial Re Review Commission. It's a joke, though. We but all know the, that. But, but that. They got rid of one. They got rid of Estes. But that's, one. That's, one. Not a pr that's not a proactive he, he review. He was forced out. That review yeah. only happens if somebody raises an issue and says yeah. and, and brings the claim forward. I think that there should be a periodic review as well. Um, of anybody, so that. What do you think, Eileen? Do you, do you agree I've been with a big, that? I've been a big advocate of that. Of it, having it, them come it, back for review. Come back for review, in that uh, we've also talked to Senator Brownsberger and put that in the judicial reform bill. Okay. Of of doing that. Ed, um, Ed, can we go like five minutes over? Is that possible? Ed Sullivan, the voice of purgatory. <laughs> I am going to grant you five minutes. Excellent. <laughs> exactly five. <laughs> All right. So I want to wrap up because, we're, believe it or not, we're at the end of this debate, which is amazing because uh, we obviously did, did a pretty good job since it went so fast. Um, would Would you guys agree – it's almost the same question with the parole board. Would, would you guys agree that um, if a judge is doing a really bad job, that the governor's council should be able to call him back, not like in a 10-year in a review like you said was, is a great idea, but on top of that, mm. someone does something really egregious like, like Feely. Should the governor's council be able to call him back before them and say, hey, wait a minute, what the hell is this? We can, but it's got to be the governor that brings it to us. If the governor says Judge Feely needs to be removed, he brings it to the governor's council, and the governor's council with an affirmative vote and the governor go to the joint... Uh, Joint session of the House and legislature, and they get rid of the Has judge. Has that ever happened? Not in my tenure. So, me, so I guess maybe the question is: Should the governor's council be able to do it autonomously without? Well, I think that I think that you know the role established in the Constitution for the governor's council is that we're supposed to provide consent and advice and consent, right. and so the governor's council should take an active role in influencing the decision of the governor and whether or not this person needs to. And I mean, they could they could have their own hearing. They could bring people forward. They could listen to what, you know, the evidence is on, on what the issue was and then, and then provide uh, advice, actually provide advice to the governor on moving forward on, on whether or not to uh, recall this judge or not. All right. Um, if, unless anybody else wants in on that question, I'm going to give each of you a minute to... Oh, I, go ahead, I go do ahead. want to say something on that. Um, because when all this happened with Judge Feely... Um, there were a whole bunch of things that happened that people don't know about. And part of that was, particularly because he sits in my district, at least he does right now, um, you know, we were talking on a regular basis to his superiors and, and, and meeting on the phone and in person with the chief justice of that court um, and going to the court and talking to people. The, the unfortunate part of what happened with that, aside from what you might feel of his, whatever his thought process was, which I don't think any of us sitting here can discern, um, people in the court were being threatened. They felt unsafe going to work. People were threatening him, mm. his life, his family, sending him hate mail at his house, going to his house. That is not how a civil society behaves. Mm -hmm. If you have a beef Correct. with somebody, we have processes. Mm -hmm. and, and go through those processes. Talk to your state representative. Call for a constitutional convention if you want some of this stuff changed. But, but the way that people behaved was abhorrent and dangerous. And it, it made the employees of that court so uncomfortable and so afraid, it, it was unbelievable. I can't tell you how many days I spent talking to people and people that were calling me saying, can you help us? Can you send more, more protection? We don't feel safe even walking to our cars. So it's, you know, people need to think twice about their actions. You know, you might have a beef with a particular person. Think about how, how it plays out. There are, there's a lot well, of people there, with mental issues in society that may not actually already be in jail yet, but those are the ones that are on the fringe that yeah, are causing all these problems. Absolutely, and there's so. a lot of people out there like that. And yeah. it's, 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 um, it's just something folks need to think about. Judge Feely, uh, I'm sure the governor's staff were going through the processes which they have. I know the chief justice mm -hmm. was having meetings with him. Um, I don't, you know, like I said, I can't discern why he <laughs> said what he said or did what he did. I, you know, I'm not even going to speculate on it. Um, but but it, that is what it is. Tom, I know you're trying to wrap us up again. Yeah, I just want to give each of you a minute to remind people who you are, why they should vote for you for Governor's Council. It's coming up. I think it's one of the most important things on the ballot, even though it's way down at the bottom. 
So um, I'm Rich Baker running for Governor's Council, and uh, I'm asking for your vote to make sure that we have fair judges on the bench in Massachusetts. It's the, uh, one of the most important positions uh, that we vote on on November 6th, and it, it, we don't elect judges. You elect uh, counselors to represent you, and I'm the best person on the ballot to, uh, to make sure we get the best judges in Massachusetts. Any, uh, go ahead, Eileen. Sure. My name's Eileen Duff. I'm running for re-election to the Governor's Council. I've been serving for a few years now. I have a reputation of fairness, even-handedness, and uh, I would dare say impartiality, as you talked about with some of the hearings, uh, which we didn't go in detail with. But also, one of the things I've brought to the council, which we haven't had in our district before, is some transparency. I've actually done public information hearings in the district, and um, I've done them in Lawrence, I've done them in Salem, I've done them in Gloucester. We're trying to do them in Lowell. We've tried to do them in Haverhill. I don't get that many appointments in this district. Um, in the last two years, there's been 10 judges appointed in this district, so I don't have as many opportunities. The Baker administration has uh, moved things along very, very quickly. And so we need to have time to set up those hearings, which I I'm, I'm, haven't always had. However, what I've been able to do is bring the process of the Governor's Council into the community so people in the community can actually see what happens and participate in it. Um, it's never been done before. I'm very proud that I've done it. It's had great success. The feedback on it is tremendous. Not everyone can get into Boston at Wednesday, on a Wednesday uh, to sit in a hearing that can go to 8 o'clock at night mm -hmm. at time. So I think that's a really great thing. And I've got a proven track record, and I've, I'll put it up against anybody anytime. So as I always say, get off your duff and vote. <laughs> yes, Mark, your final word. So I'm Mark Mercier. I'm the third-party candidate running uh, for this position as a libertarian. Uh, I'm also the most qualified person uh, for this job. I've spent 16 years as a litigation consultant with some of the uh, – top law firms in, in Boston, in the area. I have a degree from Suffolk Law. I um, previously worked in law enforcement. I have the right perspective uh, for this office and the right background and education. Uh, as a third-party person, I will be independent, no matter who the governor is or no matter who the other um, people on the council are. Right now, it's uh, seven um, Democrats and, and one Republican, so it's pretty slanted. Um, you know, pr perspective-wise, philosophically. Um, so, you know, I think those are two valuable things that, that people could uh, consider when determining who they should vote for. And then additionally, I'm the only uh, counselor of any counselor running, not just in this district, but of any district that's taken a pledge to do the job without, ha without taking a salary. Um, I don't think either of the people here are willing to take that pledge. I wouldn't work for free. Well, I mean, a lot of people do. The nominating, uh, you know, the uh, the Joint Bar Commission, they do all of the background screening and all the work, all the legwork to get candidates to come forward and uh, get presented to the governor. They all do it for free. And in my in my in my town, in any in any of the towns around here, there's lots of people involved in local government that do it for free. I think it's an honor and a privilege to be able to sit in this position. And I think that people should do it for the privilege of doing it and for the honor of doing it. Well, if they could afford it, I couldn't afford it. Yeah. I would never do it. Yeah, that's it. my problem. I'd love to do it. But oh, well. You wanted to say just one I more thing? I want to say one thing. Uh, both of these fellows keep talking about the partisanship. For the record, not one of Governor Baker's uh, nominations has been voted down. Not one. Yeah. He has every single person. And you're a Democrat. And I'm a Democrat. All right, fair and, there, and there's only ever been one He tie. can only nominate ones that passed. A, a, exactly. a crew of seven Democrats. I mean, You're if you have seven Democrats, who are you going to nominate? Exactly. Right. <laughs> Eileen Duff, Rich Baker, Mark Mercier, thank you so much for coming in to paying attention. Thank you, uh, Tommy. Good luck at Election Day. Please let us know on Election Night how you do. It's going to be a tough race to track because it's Essex County. So all of you guys, if you could just email me your results when you get them, that'd be really helpful. We might even be here live talking about it live on the show. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you, Rich Russell. Thank you uh, to Tom Troy from Political TNT here on Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We'll enjoy that you guys have sitting in the audience and watching. Melvin Taylor says, go home, as you can tell. So go home already. And as, <laughs> as uh, our good friend Ronnie Ford would say, we wish you enough. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Thanks. Telling you to go.
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.